Welcome back to another edition of Royals Review Radio. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm your host. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, it is Saturday morning. It was a hectic week at work for me. We didn't get around to recording earlier this week, so we're recording on a Saturday morning. Uh, second week of college football is about to get off underway. The Chiefs play their first game tomorrow against the perennial 0-1 Cleveland Browns. Um, you got any plans to watch football this weekend? I am definitely going to watch a Chiefs-Browns game. I'm really excited for that. I, I Honestly, I've, I've rooted for the Chiefs because I grew up in Kansas City, right? But I root for the Browns just a little bit because they're so bad. And I just always – I always pick, like, the worst team, and I root for them. And in baseball, I haven't had to try real hard because I already had the Royals. <laughs> but in football, I went with the Browns. Um, and so I'm excited for them and for the Browns fans that they're, they actually have a decent team, not good enough to beat the chiefs, but you know, they, they have some dreams of, of making it to the second round of the playoffs if they don't have to face the chiefs. So that, good for them. I tweeted something out yesterday that nobody has ever accurately tweeted that the Cleveland Browns are one and zero. The Cleveland Browns have not won the first game of the season since uh, 2004. Twitter was invented in 2006. So, huh. I mean, I guess you could tweet it, but accurately, nobody has ever correctly tweeted that the Cleveland Browns are 1-0. So, hopefully I didn't just jinx everything uh, for the Chiefs on Sunday. I am excited to watch that game. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, so this is a Royals podcast. We're going to stick to baseball here. Jeremy, we're going to play a little game this morning. and. For those of you following along, we'll give you a little pause. Um, So, what Jeremy, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to get a series of questions, and I'm going to ask you to take like a like a five second pause, six second pause between each answer. That way, we give the uh, the listeners time to they can pause the podcast, they can think through it. That way, we're not just rifling off answers at them. Um, All right, take a few seconds, and then we're going to play a little game this morning. So, I'm not used to thinking before I talk, but. I'll, I'll try <laughs> is that's I think that's like even like more representative of America today just say whatever's on your mind tweet it out and then we can go back and apologize later it doesn't require any thinking um <clears throat> no I I understand completely um, <laughs> so here's what we're gonna do the first game we're gonna play is cut one extend one trade one all right is, um inspired Sweet. by the great Step Brothers. so um the first, the first three guys I'm going to throw at you, Jeremy, I'm going to give you a Nicky Lopez. I'm going to give you a Bobby Witt Jr. And I'm going to give you a Whit Merrifield. You got to cut one. You got to extend one. And you have to trade one. We're just going to assume for the purposes of the trade that you're going to get fair market value at a position of need. So it's not going to be like another first baseman when they have Nick Prado coming up. It's definitely not going to be for a catcher. So you're assuming that one of these middle infielders is going to be traded for a center fielder, a star, a veteran starting pitcher of, of market value for their worth. So you can, <clears throat> you've got Nicky Lopez, Whit Merrifield, Bobby Whit Jr. You got to cut one, extend one, and you got to trade one. Go. Okay. So I got to cut Whit Merrifield, that is, not Bobby. See, I told you that was going to get confusing. Uh, I got to cut Merrifield. He, of the three of them, he's just the one with the least future value. So that that's an easy call. Uh, the tougher call is the trade extend because 
Bobby Witt Jr. has a lot more trade value than than Nicky Lopez, but that's because he has a lot more real value as a player. Like, I'm so happy about Nicky Lopez. I could not have been happier to be wrong about Nicky Lopez. He has turned into a legitimate starting Major League shortstop or a second baseman if they wanted to move him back there. He has been legitimately good this year beyond all reason, but I got to trade him. Because Bobby Witt Jr. has the chance to be a superstar. And you don't trade the potential superstar. So that, that I cut Whit Merrifield, I trade Nicky Lopez, and I extend Bobby Witt Jr. I was thinking about this last night as I was kind of prepping for this for these questions. And obviously the cut is is sort of irrelevant because nobody's nobody's getting cut. But like you said, in, in a world where you do have to cut one for the purpose of the game. You you obviously aren't cutting Bobby Witt Jr. So you look at Nicky Lopez, you look at Whit Merrifield, and even if you take this as who do we want more going forward, if you would have told me before the season started that there was a legitimate chance that Nicky Lopez could be more valuable to the future of the Kansas City Royals and Whit Merrifield, I would have called you crazy. I would have thought there's no way in no world could Nicky Lopez be a better future asset for this team than Whit Merrifield. And I think you're right for the purpose of the game. I think you have to cut Whit Merrifield. I think if there's anybody who you love and was really good for you in the past, but doesn't present the best future it's wit. And I, again, the, the game is silly and it's just a game, but the idea, again, the idea that Nicky Lopez is definitely going to be more valuable, would definitely be more valuable to this team and any other team is crazy. Just considering the fact that he didn't make the opening day roster until Adalberto Mondesi went on the IL. Um, I think, oh, go ahead. It's not even unusual for a guy to get demoted and then get a, a surprise promotion and succeed for a while. He's done it all year long, no extended slumps. I mean, he, he has slumped a little bit here and there, but nothing extended to the point where you're like, oh, no, he's got to go back to the minor leagues. Uh, he, it's just been it's been a complete overhaul of who he is as a, a player or the perception of him as a player. Well, and, and he didn't even get off to like a roaring start. So it's not like he came up, got off to a roaring start. Like Adalberto Mondesi is a good example of this. Adalberto Mondesi has a 125 weighted runs created plus. He really hasn't been that good for the last – week um he's he's riding a hot start Nicky Lopez isn't just riding a hot start he actually got off to a bit of a slow start and has progressively gotten better and better and better as the year keeps going so it's I mean the development we've seen from Nicky Lopez this year has been absolutely incredible I, I I don't think I've ever seen a guy go from totally incapable of finding his groove in the big leagues to making his groove work. A lot of times these guys have to like totally retool or re-game plan for what they want to do in the big leagues when they get when they come up from the minors and fail. He didn't even change anything. He actually, if anything, went back to what he was doing in the minors. And I don't know, you know, we talked a lot about over at Royals Farm Report anyway that, you know, Nicky was going to have to add some strength in order to make it. And and we made sure to clarify talked every about time that here too. Yeah, and we made sure to clarify every time we brought that up. This is, this is not meaning that he's going to have to hit home runs. The idea is that the balls that he does hit are driven with enough force 
that he can have. I mean, he's got a BABIP right now of 348. You just you can't hit the ball soft enough and expect a BABIP to be any kind of sustainable. Like it has to be driven with some kind of force. That doesn't mean he has to hit it in the air. It doesn't mean he has to hit it over the fence. Just hard enough to be a hit when he does make contact. And for the first couple of years in the big leagues, Nicky Lopez wasn't doing that. Slapping the ball around, popping it up. He wasn't hitting it with any kind of authority. Now he's hitting line drives all over the field. Last night he slaps a double past the third baseman, which I think is hilarious that they're shifting Nicky Lopez. Like, I understand <laughs> I understand shifting guys who pull the ball because they can't hit the ball the other way. But when you – like the Royals a few years ago shifted Jose Altuve, and I laughed because Jose Altuve – pulls the ball because that's where the hole is on the infield. And then we shifted him and he just slapped it the other way. It's like some guys hit the ball on, on the pull side because it's easier. And that's where the hole is. Nicky Lopez has every ability to go the other way, slap it past your third baseman. Now he has a double because he had a ground ball right to where the third baseman should be. Um, I think it's a way that we sort of misevaluate the shift sometimes, but anyway. yeah, I, I would have, if I was shifting Nicky Lopez, I would have assumed he was always going to get the other way. I would have shifted around the other way. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that either. So, um, anyway, obviously they're not going to cut anybody of, of that three. But no. if, I had to, if I had to trade one, I was actually thinking about this the other day. If I had to trade one of Bobby Witt Jr. or Nicky Lopez and extend the other, here, here's kind of what you're looking at. You pointed out that if you trade Nicky Lopez, his value will never be higher, and that Bobby Wood Jr. is a potential superstar. However, if you extend Nicky Lopez, you're only going to be paying him probably, like, I mean, I don't think Hunter Dozier money is out of the realm of possibility. He gets five for 25. He gets five for 30. It's very affordable. You trade Bobby Wood Jr., you're going to get a superstar center fielder back. Like maybe you might even get like a Jared Kellenic type or somebody even better. Um, maybe you can get Josh Lowe out of Tampa Bay and an arm or something like that. So I was, I was actually wondering, like if you, if you just broke down the pure value added to the team, who, which combination would bring back. And I'm actually not so sure that keeping Lopez and extending him and trading Bobby Witt Jr. Wouldn't be like, if you were just playing on a computer, like, generate the most like numbers value on a piece of paper. But I think you're right. In practicality, you trade Nicky Lopez, get whatever you can back for him. And then you extend Bobby Witt Jr. So he can be your everyday shortstop for the next 30 years. I know the conceit of the game is that whatever trade you make, you get a fair value return. I just can't imagine trading Bobby Witt Jr. and getting what I perceive to be a fair value return. I think anybody who who trades for him says, "Well, I'm not paying you for a potential superstar. I'm pay I'll pay you for a potential really good guy, but he hasn't done anything at the big league level yet." Um and even when the, they were trading Will Myers, you know, a few years ago, he was he was looking like a, a pretty good guy. Maybe not Bobby Witt Jr., but he was looking like he had a lot of potential. They still had to throw in, uh, uh, you know. Mike Montgomery, Jake mm-hmm. Odorizzi. I mean, yep. They, they gave up a ton in that trade to get James. Exactly. And they got back a, a good but not great starting pitcher. A very good, I should say. James Shields is very good. but he was, And they traded for him to be the staff ace, and he was the staff ace of the Royals, but he was not. Max Scherzer, he was not Clayton Kershaw, he was not an ace. 
Um, and they got Wade Davis, who was a, a broken down starter, uh, who turned into a really good reliever, but there was no reason to expect him to be that good because there's no reason to expect any reliever to be that good before he does it. And uh, a, a utility infielder, Elliot Johnson, I think was his oh, name. Oh, yeah, I forget. I forget Elliot Johnson was included in that trade. I never remember that he was even a part of it. He Elliot. was a player to be named later, so <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's move on um, to the next group here. Daniel Lynch, Carlos Hernandez, and I'm going to throw in, um, instead of another pitcher, because obviously whoever, the next pitcher that I rattle off is going to get cut. So I'm going <laughs> to throw in, I'm going to throw in, um, oh, I'll, I'll throw Whit Merrifield back into this bunch. You got Whit Merrifield. No, I'll throw Nicky Lopez back in this bunch. So I was going to say, Lopez, you got to stop throwing me Whit Merrifield. I do not have the same attachment to him that many Royals fans do. I am happy <laughs> happy to cut him. <laughs> so Nicky Lopez, Carlos Hernandez, Daniel Lynch, all three oh of them. By the way, I, I know folks are like, oh, Carlos Hernandez, ace, ace, ace. He's been outstanding. I love watching him pitch. He's very, very talented. He struck out one count them one Baltimore Oriole in six innings the other night. He reminds me a lot of what we saw from Brad Keller in 2018, where Brad Keller in 2018 and the, when he went to the rotation was just blowing the doors off people, but he wasn't striking anybody out. And the analytics community was like, uh, caution, caution, caution. And the Royals fans self-included still self-included by the way, like no Brad Keller stuff is immaculate. He's going to be fine. He will be a big league starter for a long time. And I'm seeing the exact same thing with Carlos Hernandez right now. A lot of folks are caught up in the innings and in the runs and the lack you, of hits. Are you it's trying like, to say that Brad Keller isn't a quality big league starter right now? No, 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 no. no. I just, he's not an ace. Oh, right? yeah. So okay. I've seen the praise for Carlos Hernandez being ace, ace, ace. He's going to be number one. I think he's going to be really good. I think the lack of strikeouts is telling that there's something missing in the formula maybe it's cal eldred maybe it's just him working through some things but one strikeout in six innings is while you should be excited for six shutout innings it's a baltimore b why aren't there more strikeouts coming i'm not a big like i don't think strikeouts should be that indicative of the cy young i'm not a huge like like i i know that i'm probably more analytical than than a lot of folks listening but i just I do think there's something to the str- lack of strikeouts that's at least worthy of caution. So I wanted to add that note in there. Now, now that I'm done with that, Carlos Hernandez, Daniel Lynch, Nicky Lopez, I feel like they're all in the same tier of present value in terms of moving forward. I want to I want to get your thoughts. You got to cut one, you got to extend one, you got to trade one. Okay, so this one's actually hard. This one's really really hard for me. Um, first of all. I think if you're going to trade one of those guys, it's got to be Carlos Hernandez. He is at his peak value right now, which is a high. Everyone is saying ace, 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 ace. Maybe he doesn't turn into an ace, but he looks like one right now. That's the trade value. That's the guy. I mean, of those three, I don't want to lose any of them. So that's the guy I'm going to trade because he's got the most trade value compared to where he could end up right now. Daniel Lynch is at the bottom of his trade value. He has struggled his last couple starts. He struggled when he first came up. 
Um, so I, it's not the time to trade him. And Nikki Lopez uh, is also at the top of his trade value, but his trade value is as a shortstop who, with no power, right? And there's value in that, but not the same as, oh, potential ace with lots of stuff. Um, so, so I'm trading, I'm going to trade Carlos Hernandez and Dayton Moore help me. I'm going to cut Nicky Lopez. I, I love him. I think, I think this is the real Nicky Lopez. I think this is the guy we see going forward. But again, that's not the same value as Daniel Lynch if Daniel Lynch figures it out. Um, I don't want to cut any of those three guys. I don't, it's the purpose of the game. You got to cut somebody, but in real life, like I'm not cutting any of them. That doesn't make any sense in real life, but for the purposes of the game, yeah, I'm going to cut Nicky Lopez because there's just, he doesn't have the potential value that Daniel Lynch has. And you've got Bobby Witt Jr. is coming. He can play shortstop. You've got Adelberto Mondesi if he can stay healthy for more than a couple minutes. He can play some shortstop. So it's not like you don't have anybody to fill that hole if you had to theoretically cut him. I actually agree with you about Lopez. And I think it's, again, the the purpose of the game is not, oh, they're going to cut Nicky Lopez. The purpose of the game is like identifying who's going to be the best asset moving forward who's going to be the best asset in terms of helping the rest of the team and who do we think of the three is the least valuable right um the fact that we're having this conversation with a guy so daniel lynch was in everybody's top 100 coming into this year carlos hernandez is throwing 100 miles an hour he's 6-6 he's got a 1.7 era in his last like nine appearances and Nicky Lopez, we're having this conversation like, man, I don't really want to cut him. Like, I can't believe I might have to cut him in favor of these two. Now, we're both going to cut him, but the fact that it's a conversation, again, going back to the beginning of the year, would have been outrageous to have having this conversation about Nicky Lopez. Well, the funny thing is that at the beginning of the year, I would have been sitting here going, well, do I cut Nicky Lopez or do I cut Carlos Hernandez? I don't want either of them. <laughs> And that would have been a big mistake on my part. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to differ with you on trading who I trade. I think I'm going to trade Daniel Lynch. I think I'm going to trade Daniel Lynch because he's shown flashes of brilliance so mm-hmm. far in his big leagues. I, I know he's been bad also, but if you're a scout, a lot of times what you look for is the flashes of brilliance because if a guy is consistently good but never flashes dominance, like, it's fair to wonder, is it even in there? If a guy flashes brilliance and he's also very bad, it's like, okay, the brilliance is in there. The ace is in there. It's like, how do we get it out more often, right? I think I'm going to bank on Daniel Lynch's pedigree and one team to look at my roster and go, okay, Daniel Lynch is a top 100 prospect. Daniel Lynch has shown flashes of brilliance in the big leagues. Cal Eldred is not a good pitching coach. We're going to acquire Daniel Lynch. We're going to pay, even though he hasn't been great all year, and I don't mean – he hasn't been great once this year. I mean, he hasn't been great consistently throughout the year. We're going to pay the normal rate that we would have paid for Lynch at the beginning of the season, bank on our development staff doing a better job than Cal Eldred and the Royal staff did, and see if we can get the potential ace out of Lynch. I'm going to bank on one team paying that price. I'm going to trade Daniel Lynch, and I'm going to extend Carlos Hernandez. Carlos Hernandez, I know I just got done talking about the caution flags, 
but even with the caution flags, man, his stuff is is ridiculous. And he has grown more seemingly as a person, like maturity wise and, and how he composes himself on the mound. It's like this kid's unbelievable. And he kind of reminds me of a young Salvador Perez where he comes up and, and I don't mean to compare him to Salvi. He played two different positions. Hopefully that was obvious. But when Salvi came up, he was like, he was always fired up. He was clearly a natural leader. And he just had this vibe about him that even if he didn't know what he didn't know yet, he wanted to be there. He was energetic. He was trying to inspire his teammates. And you could just tell he was going to fit. He was going to make it in the big leagues. Carlos Hernandez strikes me as being similar in that when he came up for the first time, he didn't look like he knew what he didn't know, right? He looked confident, but you could tell it was a naive confidence and I'm just going to come out here and play. And now that he seems to be learning the game and learning the ways of the big leagues and there's the stories that Salvador Perez took him in, let him live with him, taught him how to train, taught him how to take care of his body. If this continues, the sky is the limit. There is no ceiling. I wrote before the season started in our preseason rankings, Carlos Hernandez has the best raw stuff of any of the Royals young pitching prospects. If he figures it out, he has the highest ceiling. I wrote that in the preseason. I don't think anybody would have argued with that. I think people would pretty much agree with that. I'm just saying we've known for a while now, if he reaches his ceiling, this is what he's capable of. I don't think he scratched the surface. On one hand, you can look at the one strikeout in Baltimore and say caution, like, hey, something's not right here. And I totally think that that's logical. On the other hand, you can go, damn, he is dominating some of these dudes and he only struck out one batter. Like, what's next? Like, what is the next level then? Kid's 24. He jumped straight from low A to the big leagues. Like, if he's going six shutout innings with this stuff and only striking out one batter, what's the next level? Like, what does the peak of Carlos Hernandez look like? So I think it's twofold there. Um, so with Nicky Lopez this year, he's obviously been outstanding. We talked about him riding the 348 Babbitt. We, we have seen this with Whit Merrifield. When that Babbitt came back down to earth, so did everything else about his offensive production. If that does come back to life for Lopez, I question whether he's even like a 90-weighted runs created plus hitter. He doesn't need to be to be valuable. I think he could be like an 80 WRC plus, like 20% below league average offensively and still produce a couple wins. So I think there's, you know, a really high floor with Lopez. I just think for this team specifically with Bobby Witt Jr., with Adalberto Mondesi in the fold somehow, with Michael Massey and Nick Lofton coming up through the ranks, you got Jason Guzman and Clay Duncan in double A. I think you can piece together the value that you would lose by losing Nicky Lopez, where Daniel Lynch and Carlos Hernandez ceilings are so high. I think it's best to protect those values in any way you can. Um, so, yeah, but the fact that we're having this conversation again is it just screams to the to the efforts that Nicky Lopez has put in to Absolutely. make him a valuable big leaguer. And I think it's, you know, tip of the cap to him, but also the Royals have some really, really good pieces. Because the next game we're going to play, the fact that we might think about cutting Lopez is going to make you go, okay, maybe we need to reconsider. But, um, yeah, the <laughs> fact that we're having the conversation is outstanding. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to run a little ad break really quick right here, and then we're going to come back and play a different game on the other side of the break. All right. Welcome back. Um, the next game we're going to play is. More or less. And so, Jeremy, I'm going to ask you a question, 
And the only answer you're allowed to give is more or less. And the, the, the question is going to revolve around, does this player that I name have more or less F war than Nikki Lopez? So this time, make sure you give me five seconds. Let the, let the audience think through it. You give your answer, and then I'm going to tell you the right answer, and we're going to talk about just the ridiculousness of some of this. First player on the list, I won't go too tricky on the first one. So the first player on the list is going to be, um, let's go with Brandon Crawford. Brandon Crawford is the starting shortstop for the San Francisco Giants. Brandon Crawford has a 134 weighted runs created plus this year. Um, Brandon Crawford is a perennial all-star for the San Francisco Giants. He has been there for a long time. He is really, really, really good. Jeremy, more or less Brandon F4 than Nikki Lopez for Brandon Crawford. I I, I want to just like reverse psychology this and say less. I'm going to say more because he's got to have more. He's Brandon Crawford. It's more. It is okay. more. 100 or I'm sorry, 134 weighted runs created plus compared to Lopez is 107, which means that he's been 27% better than league average than Lopez has. Uh, Brandon Crawford, 4.2 F4, Nicky Lopez, 3.8. So not significantly more, geez, but 0. 0.4, 0.4 more F4. That's not even a half a win, right? So, right. And um, that's, I mean, that's a margin of error. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's like the, like, it, that's literally, Brandon Crawford going 0 for 4 with four strikeouts tonight and Nicky Lopez going 4 for 4 with a couple of doubles. Like that that could, that could close the gap in like a night. You lose point right. three game point two. Like it could go like that. Um, next one I'm going to run by you is uh, Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette is the starting shortstop for the Toronto Blue Jays. Bo Bichette has 22 home runs. 22 stolen bases and 600 plate appearances. Um, Nicky Lopez, two home runs, 19 stolen bases, and 474 plate appearances. So we're working with 126 less plate appearances here. Uh, Jeremy, more or less F4 than Nicky Lopez for Bo Bichette. Before I answer your question, I just have to point out, as I always do whenever anyone talks about Bo Bichette, is that his name sounds like Boba Fett from Star Wars. And if they don't do a Boba Shett, Boba Fett bobblehead for Star Wars Day, they're doing something wrong. They got to do that. Like, they got to do that next year. I think they maybe, they, I think they probably missed the boat on that this year. They got to do it next year. It is, it is kind of funny how close that name is. Uh, and I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to think you're being sneaky. And I'm going to say he has less FWAR than, than Nikki. He has 0.1 more. Oh, Bo Bichette has 126 more plate appearances than Nicky Lopez and has 0.1 more F4. That is beyond ridiculous Mm -hmm. because that effectively tells you that Nicky Lopez has been heads and shoulders above Bo Bichette. He just, he's been batting ninth all year. And there was a stretch where Nicky Lopez legitimately, if I remember correctly, it was like 19 out of 30 games in the month of July um, or Maybe it was 19 out of 30 games between July, June and July. He had three – he only had three plate appearances in those games. Like, he wasn't even getting his fourth plate appearance, like, on a regular basis and because the Royals were so bad. Um, yeah, no, Nicky Lopez, it, at war is a counting stat. So, 
Um, it was kind of a trick question there. I, I apologize for tricking you. Um, but yeah, Nikki Lopez just point one. Don't feel like. Don't feel like you're that sorry. No, I'm not that sorry. <laughs> Next one we're going to go to is Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado has 29 home runs and 572 plate appearances for the St. Louis Cardinals this year. Uh, Jeremy, more or less F4 than Nicky Lopez for Nolan Arenado. Gosh, Nolan Arenado is just – to go off on another tangent as I give everyone a chance to also think their way through this question – Nolan Arenado is a, an exemplar of why I personally dislike the St. Louis Cardinals. And it's because they get everybody else's superstars. What the heck? The, Car- the, the Rockies have Nolan Arenado. Now the Cardinals have Arenado. The Diamondbacks have Goldschmidt. Now the Cardinals have Goldschmidt. And they've been doing this for forever. Jim Edmonds, uh, Jason Isringhausen, Scott Rowland, like, Mark McGuire. They just constantly take – how do you always get – all the other team superstars. That's not fair. Get and that's why I don't hate the Cardinals because they're in Missouri. I don't care about that. I don't care about the St. Louis rivalry. Just stop taking everybody else's superstars. Take them and then ruin them and then let them retire. And well, they 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 like Scott Rowland was a super. He's the one that comes to mind for me a big time. He was a superstar for the Phillies on a Hall of Fame track. And now if he makes it into the Hall of Fame, it'll be as a Cardinal. And it's like, but but what about the no? Never mind the Phillies. That he was the the Cardinals won World Series with him. <sighs> anyway, uh, I'm gonna go less because I'm gonna say the superstar stuff about Nolan Arenado makes me think he's been better than he has been. Yeah, way less. So Nolan Arenado has 98 more plate appearances than Nicky Lopez this year. Nicky Lopez has 0.6 more F4 than Nolan Arenado. Wow. Yeah. How much of that is defense, though? Because Arenado's playing third, right? Not that much. Nolan Arenado's only got a 111 weighted runs created plus. Wow. Walk rate is down close to 7%. So, Nicky Lopez is walking more than 2% more than Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado's on base percentage this year is 308. Oof. That's like Salvador Perez-ish. Maybe the Rockies got rid of him at the right time. I think you could make the argument that what did they even get back? I honestly can't remember because I just saw that he was a Cardinal and my, my whole vision went red and, (laughs) and not in a good way. Uh, You know. (laughs) All right, let's go with Joey Votto, Joey Votto. He of the 30 home run season, he of the 369 on base percentage, he of the 140 weighted runs created plus more or less F war. Than Nicky Lopez. Now Joey plays first base, and he doesn't run so good. And I know that running isn't a huge component of WAR, but it is. It it, do, it is factored in. Oh goodness, that's a tough one because Joey Votto has been Joey Votto for so long that it's just like you always got to expect Joey Votto to be better than any random guy you pick. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say he's better. I'm going to say he's better. He's higher. He's More. got 3.1 F4 this season. Oh no, I was fooled again. And this is where I run into issues with war. A, 
that you could look at the seasons that Nicky Lopez and Salvador Perez are having and come to any conclusion that Nicky Lopez has been more valuable than Salvi. They've got him like a full win, if I'm not mistaken, above Salvi. Joey Votto, like I get it, man. He plays first base. But is Joey Votto such a black hole at first base that being 40% better than the league offensively is, I don't know. I don't know how much I buy into that. And and, and I, I think war is a really good number to use for guys like Lopez. Like how can we, how can we put a value on a guy like Lopez defensively? How can we put a value on a guy like uh, Tim Anderson um, who plays shortstop, like these middle infielders and outfielders, but when you're Joey Votto, like being that much better than everyone else offensively needs to have, you know, carry some weight, even if you're not producing too much on defense. So I don't know. Um, I, three point, I think, like being 0.7 behind Lopez seems, I don't know. They're, they're not just, you know, if we were just factoring the hitting, obviously Votto would be higher. And if we were just factoring positions and maybe, you know, whatever, <laughs> excuse me, but Nikki is playing potential gold glove defense at shortstop, which is a very important defensive position. So I'm not convinced that that's wrong because yeah, he hasn't hit as well, but that defense is important. So I try to, I try to just, you know, kind of go on it and, you know, they've obviously done a lot more research than I have, but it's crazy that Vado has been that good offensively and they've got Nicky Lopez being 0.7 war better. Um, than Joey Votto. <clears throat> Last one we're going to do, Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts and Nicky Lopez have a very similar number of plate appearances. Um, Nicky's played in 28 more games, but Mookie hitting at the top of a lineup that scores at will has allowed him to have way more plate appearances. Um, pro-rated, so Nicky still technically has more plate appearances, but it's not many. Um Mookie Betts, 19 home runs, nine stolen bases, a 375 on base, more or less F4 than Nicky Lopez. Let's see. Now, Mookie is playing center field for the Dodgers, right? I don't know. I have I've not been I, – I was keeping up with Votto to a degree because the Royals played the Reds this year. They haven't played the Dodgers – and I'm not always as great about being aware of what's happening in baseball uh, outside the Royals when the Royals are not good. Um, but I, I think he's playing center field, so I think he should get some – if his defense is still good out there, he should get some some boost from that. Um, how many home runs did you say he had? 19? 138 weighted runs created plus. So that's pretty good. I'm going to – and that OBP was good. I'm going to say he's more. Less. Less. Nicky Lopez has been better, according to Fangraph's war, than Mookie freaking bets this year. That's two. 0.2 wins. I got to I, – I, that would mean more to me if I knew, like, how well I, – I know, I know we just went over the stats, but I, I haven't fully – integrated them into my my outlook of Mookie Betts right now so right now I'm like okay maybe Mookie's really bad this year and I was just wasn't paying attention but none of the stats you gave me suggests that he he has been playing some center field and they've got him rated here's the funny thing about this is they've got him rated like really well 
mm-hmm. all over the field. Everywhere he plays, they've got him rated at least fine. Like one defensive run saved at least each position, four in right field. And yet his defensive value, his defensive runs above average on fan graphs is negative 1.5. And I think they're punishing him for playing right field, which is weird considering he's pretty good out there. Um, again, I don't love the way that, you know, Fangraphs does some things, but it's, I think, the best number we have to go off of. And I, and I think it speaks more to the idea that when you factor all these things together and you factor in, um, you know, the, the complete role both players are playing for their team, that Fangraphs thinks that Nicky Lopez has been more valuable than Mookie Betts this year. Yeah, that one, that one, I'm I'm not prepared to necessarily (laughs) agree with. Uh, The others make sense to a certain degree. I even argued, you know, in in favor of maybe Nicky Lopez is worth more than Joey Votto. Being worth more than Mookie Betts is is kind of a a shocker to me. I'm not sure I buy it, but I I mean, the stats are what they are, I guess. Yeah, I don't mean to turn this into an anti-war argument. I really, <laughs> I really meant to make this about Nicky Lopez and just how impressive he's been this year. I mean, don't, and let he, this, don't let this be your parade if you're listening against war, because yeah. war, war is not supposed to tell you, you know, necessarily what could go on in the future. It's accounting stats. You got to be available. You got to be playing. Like if you're just randomly writing in a ridiculous BABIP like Nicky Lopez is, it can inflate your war because it inflates your batting average. All these things. Um, it's so, it's a good starting place for comparison of players. It's not the only. No, it's it's a start. And again, I don't use Fangraphs WAR um, for for pitchers very often. I, I prefer Baseball References because I think WAR what WAR should do is tell you what did you do throughout the season in terms of of actual um, production. I don't care if it's lucky. I don't care if it's unlucky. I don't care if it's repeatable or not. Just what happened? Did you get on base? Did, was it a hit? Was it not? Did you allow the run? Did you not? So I, that's a whole other thing. Um, but I think what we need to look at is not that Nicky Lopez is better than Mookie Betts, just that in terms of the value he has created on the field, that there are people who think that he has created more value for his team than Mookie Betts has this year, which is which is just incredible. Yeah, the fact and that you can even have that argument. The fact that you can have the conversation is incredible. And I think it you know, is a testament not only to Nicky Lopez, but to whoever's helping him and whoever is in charge of that development process and whoever is, um, you know, the Royals taking a beating in terms of their being criticized for their for their draft classes lately and having Nicky Lopez as a fourth rounder come up and be of, you know, all-star. He has been, by all accounts, an all-star valuable player this year it is outstanding, and it's really, really good to see. It's you know, I, I like I said, like I said earlier, I've never been happier to be wrong. I I am just so happy for Nicky Lopez that he has found some success. I'm happy for the team. I'm happy for me. I'm happy for Nicky Lopez. There's just I whenever I say a guy is done or or not good, I want to be proven wrong. And Nicky Lopez has proven me wrong because I was ready to walk away from him before the season started. And and never look back, and and the fact that that would have been an awful decision is is just it makes me very happy. All right, we're um, gonna wrap up our game game show segment here. Um, 
we're going to, I'm really quick going to run through the schedule. The Royals are 64 and 77. They are four games away from another below 500 season. They would have to lose. They got 21 games left. They would have to lose 13 of their next 21 to have another 90 loss season, which I think is totally avoidable at this point. The issue is going to be they host Cleveland for three. No, I'm sorry. They host Oakland for three after they get out of Baltimore. Oakland's pretty good. They host Seattle for three. I know they swept Seattle or took the series from Seattle, but Seattle's pretty good. And then they have seven games against Cleveland down the stretch. Um, Cleveland has been, as Pedro Martinez would say, their daddy this year. Um, <laughs> it just they, – they can't get over the hump that is Cleveland. And I think it's, it's pitching style. I think Cleveland – like, styles make fights. And I think that's why the Chiefs will always beat teams like the Browns when it matters. They, like, they may lose Sunday, but teams, Chiefs will always beat teams like the Browns. They're always going to beat teams like the Ravens when it matters. Styles make fights. You could have a team like the Raiders who just oddly matches up with the Chiefs, and you're always going to have these shootouts and just kind of play weird games. But if you play like the Browns play, if you play like the Ravens play, when it matters, they're just going to beat you. Um, and I think that's with Cleveland's rotation. They don't have a lot of big, straight, four-seam, elevated fastball guys in their rotation. It's a lot of sinkers. It's a lot of movement. It's a lot of curveballs and deception. And the Royals just don't do well with those kind of arms. And the uh, the Cleveland baseball team has a, has a stable full of them. So um, I, I think that's going to create some issues. Let's say they go two and five against Cleveland – all of a sudden you're staring down the barrel of another 90 loss season. I don't want to put too much stock into like, Ooh, they lost 89 games instead of 90, but I think winning 73, 74 games this year. So you're going to have to go 500 down the stretch would be a really just kind of a pillar in terms of we are turning a corner. Like it would be an obvious sign to look back on. Like let's say the Royals win the world series in 2024 it would be an obvious sign we could look back on and go, that's the season where everything turned around. They went 73 and then what's the number? It's like 88, 73 80. and 88. Yeah, um, or 89. Something like that. 89, that's right. 73 and 89, they didn't lose 90 games. They beat their Vegas odds. They beat all the projections by a couple games. The young arms came up. The hitters did well in the AAA level and AA levels. Um Think that was the turning point. This is where the Royals became the competitors that they were in 2022, 2023, and 2024. So um, not that it's the end-all, be-all, not that it matters that much. They could lose every game from here on out, and I'm going to feel the exact same way about this team heading into next year as I do right now. But I do think it would help in terms of fan favor, in terms of getting the general public on board. So 21 games left, two in Minnesota. They host Oakland and Seattle for three each. They host Cleveland and Minnesota for three each. They're on the road in Cleveland for four. They're on the road in Detroit for three. If you can win 11 of those games, just go 11 and 10. That's not like crazy. You win 75 games this year. If you can avoid losing 13 of those games, you avoid another 90 loss season. And again, it's just continually improving, continually improving little by little until the big guns get here. I think – Avoiding 100 losses is the first big step, and they've done that. I mean, they could lose 100, but it would take 
uh, it would take a miracle, like or whatever the opposite of a miracle is. <laughs> it would uh, be really hard. No, they've 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 the, eclipsed sixty two wins. They got 64. oh right. So, so it, they, it would it would take a literal miracle. Yeah, <laughs> somebody would have go to go back and take some wins away. Okay, so avoiding one hundred that's a big step, and I agree with you that avoiding ninety is a big step towards towards favor for the future. I think even just having avoided 100 is is that's enough for me. You avoid 100 and I'm like you you are you are on the upswing now. Because this is and this is the thing when the Royals were really bad in the early and mid 2000s. This was the thing that they did was they just kept losing 100 games, 95 games, 100 games, 98 games. And it was just like there's no, there's no bright future in sight. There's no improvement. There's nothing. And if you look at this team, this team has some talent. Um, I actually wrote, it, it'll be live in, a, in an hour or so from when we're recording this. I wrote, the Royals, in my opinion, have the pitching staff to be a playoff competitive team in 2022. They have it. It's there right now. If they don't add anyone else, they have enough pitchers to be competitive in 2022. They don't have a lineup for that, obviously. Um, but that means there's talent. That means there's something there that they don't, they didn't have in 2018. They didn't have in 2019. They didn't have in 2020. There's there's a path towards competition in 2022, 2023, 2024. It's not an easy path, but it exists. And that's not something you can always say. And, it, and if they were going to lose 100 games this year, you would look and go, well, the talent isn't. To lose 100 games, you have to have no talent. It, that's just the way it is. It's hard to lose a hundred games. And so that they're, that they're not going to lose a hundred games this year, that they may not lose 90 games this year. That tells you there is talent on this team. Some of it underperformed, some of it struggled early and then figured things out later, but there is talent and there's talent coming. We know that they have a highly rated form system again. And um, uh, this was a big focus for me in the, the article I wrote is that as much as we have poo-pooed and, and, and talked about how awful the Royals drafting and, and uh, development has been, we have to give them credit. They All four of those top four picks from 2018 have made the big leagues, have had some level of success. That's hard. That is hard to do for any team. For your top four pros, for your top four picks from a draft, from one draft to make it to the big leagues and have some level of success is impressive. And so I think we have to give the Royals some credit for for overhauling their their drafting and development process. They did something that has drastically improved the success rate. They suddenly have a bunch of pitchers. They have a pitching tree. They have too many pitchers. Have people have argued. And, and, and that's impressive. And we have to, uh, you know, if I want to sit here and criticize when Dayton Moore drafts, uh, 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 what's his, Bubba Starling and, and all these guys in the first round that don't do anything, they don't go anywhere. Then we have to, we have to praise them when it appears that they have turned a corner and, and found some success. And again, it's not just the 2018 draft either, right? We've got Bobby Wood Jr. was a number round number one draft pick. And he looks like he deserved that number that that first round draft pick. And they've got guys like Carlos Hernandez that they signed. Uh, 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 they didn't draft him. They signed him out of Venezuela. Venezuela. Um, so they, they they're 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 
finding ways to to get good players, not even just in the first round of the draft. Um, and that's I it's it's just good to see that the Royals are finally kind of turning the corner there. Everyone's always argued that they have to have a lot of homegrown talent to compete. And I could argue that, you know, you could just spend a bunch of money and lose a bunch of money. And, and what do I care? You're all rich anyway. Uh, but, you know, it is it is easier. It's more fun when you develop guys. It's more fun, uh, you know, uh, to not go off on too much of a tangent. I'm excited about Salvador Perez having a shot at the, the team record for home runs because he's been a Royal his whole life. He's going to be a Royal for probably the enti- his entire career. That's exciting to me. He's a guy that I want to have that home run record. When Jorge Soler took that record, I was like, he's not going to be here. He wasn't here. He's not going to be here. He's got the record. He's just going to be some guy who came in, took the record, and then went somewhere else. It's like he hired a mercenary to do it. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and when it was Mike Moustakis, like he was a homegrown royal. That's awesome. And, it, and if it's going to be Salvador Perez, cross your fingers, could be Salvador Perez, could be 50 home runs. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, that's That's cool. That's like, cause we, we root for these, we root for the laundry as people say. Right. And so the guys who wear the laundry longer, eh, I like that guy a little bit more. Yeah, no, it's literally like the Royal said, our home run record is embarrassing. We're going to hire a mercenary to come in here and break it. And then he can go about his way. I agree with you that it's cooler to watch homegrown guys do it. That's why everybody hates the Yankees because the Yankees for a long and the time. Cardinals. And the Cardinals for a long time. I mean, yeah, they were developing guys too. And I think even the Yankees core, that nineties and two thousands run was homegrown, right? The core four, they were all homegrown, but it was the guys they were paying to come in and, and the ability to any hole you have in the lineup, any, any imperfection that you have in your organization, you can just fix it with money. And that's why people hated the Yankees. And so um, to see, to see the homegrownness of these guys coming up is so cool, but it also makes things so much easier for, for the general manager in terms of finding a hole to fill like, okay, so going into next year, You've got your left fielder, like him or not, he's going to be there. You've got options in right field. You've got options on the infield. You've got your catcher. You've got options on the mound. If you had to go find a shortstop and a first baseman, then you're not going to be able to spend three years, $80 million on Starling Marte. You're telling me right now the Royals couldn't go out and give Starling Marte three and 60, three and, 45, and whatever it's going to take. Like exactly. You have one hole. You have one hole in the lineup that is obviously bigger and more problematic than any other hole in the lineup go throw some money at it and, and fix the hole. I mean, just just go fix it because you don't have to worry about that throughout the field. Now, you could argue Ben Benintendi isn't a championship solution. Kyle Isbell isn't a championship solution, but you can at least find out. You can at least plug them and play them and have serviceable value coming out of those spots. You have one massive issue on this team. Go out there, throw $60, $75 million at it and fix it. Go, go do what it takes to fix that and that's- problem and let your homegrown talent fill out the rest. And that's what we, when we go look at the off season before this off season, I liked this off season, but they had to fill a bunch of holes. They had to fill first base with Carlos Santana. They had to fill a rotation spot with Mike Miner. They had to fill center field with Michael A. Taylor. They had to fill left field with Andrew Benatendi. You don't have as many, like you're saying, you don't have as many holes. You can, instead of taking, spreading all that money between four guys, now you can take that money and you get one guy, maybe two. 
you know, you get, you could get your one big guy, your Starling Marte, and then go get, you know, maybe you want one more veteran starting pitcher because you're not sure your rookies can fill all the innings because it's a lot of innings for, for starters and they still haven't pitched a ton of innings this year. So maybe you go get a veteran starter, but one or two holes, like you're saying, is much easier to fill than the five or six or 10, 12, 14, 25 the Royals have had to fill other years. So maybe, you know, maybe we'll look back and say, you know, maybe Dayton Moore wasn't that bad at free agents. Maybe he just had to get too many free agents. Yeah, no, I think there's absolutely something to that. And I'm, I'm excited to see what this what this ownership group does in the offseason. I mean, I think if you look at it as a business, I mean, the only way to grow your business is, is to invest. If you want to grow this this team, if you want to grow the fan base, if you want to grow your national standing, invest money. Like I, I don't have billions of dollars. I don't, it's not my money, but if I owned a team, I'm, I'm investing in it to see what I can get back out of it. And then if I feel like the people in place aren't doing the best job investing my money, I go find somebody else to invest my money, just like any other financial advisor would do or any other billionaire would do the financial advisor. If they're not investing it right, go find somebody else to invest your money. Yeah. But I'm at least going to give Dayton more. Here's a check for $50 million this offseason, Dayton, spend it wisely. Go find some players who are going to put this team in the playoffs in 2022 because while I think it's a long shot, $50 million can fix a lot of problems. So, And they um, don't have as many problems as they used to. No, absolutely not. And that, and that was a big – what you're saying about the owner is a big part of why I liked the offseason going into 2021 was – and I wrote about this also – is that the Royals – we're shopping in the bargain bin because they were filling a lot of holes, but they weren't dumpster diving. They weren't going and grabbing Lucas Duda that nobody wanted. They were going to get in Carlos Santana and, and, you know, Santana has not been a superstar. Obviously he's struggled at times, but there was every reason to think that he could provide some value. Whereas when you got Lucas Duda, you were just praying that he found the fountain of youth and and was suddenly going to be worth something. Or Brandon Moss. Or Brandon Moss, right. Or uh, Chris Owings, (laughs) you know, or Matt Harvey. (laughs) So the Royals Royals were shopping in the bargain bin last year, yes, but they weren't in the dumpster. They weren't diving in the dumpster. And that comes down to the owner's willingness to spend – and I think when the owner is willing to spend and you only need to fill one hole, like we've been saying, fill one hole instead of four or five, well, now you can take all that money and you can go get someone really good. And and Starling Marte is out there. I mean, I think I think that's a reasonable get for the Royals at this point, based on where the team is, how much money they have uh, assigned and how much I think they should be spending. I I, I will be at this point probably a little disappointed if they don't go get Starling Marte and say, now this is a lineup that's close and that if people play to a reasonable level, I think they've been saying for the last few years, we can be competitive if everybody plays at their very highest ceiling. And now it's like, well, if people play near their ceiling, we can be competitive. And I think that's, I think that's worth pursuing. And I hope the Royals do. I agree 100%. All right, Jeremy, thanks for joining me this morning. I know we had to push some push it back like three days and then another day and then another day and another day, but we're here. We recorded it. This will be up uh, later today. So, uh, Jeremy, I appreciate you. We'll be back again next week. We'll bring on – I'm going to go try to find a guest, somebody smarter than us to go talk about the Royals with us. So, 
I'll go out and recruit some recruit some brains to talk about the Royals again here in the next week or so. Until then, enjoy a Saturday full of college football. Enjoy an NF, our first NFL Sunday of the year. Go Chiefs. Go whoever you're rooting for, unless it's the Browns. I hope they lose. Otherwise, I hope your favorite team wins. We'll be back again real soon. Thanks for listening.